Welcome to the Word on Wednesday podcast for July 27. My name is John Mason. Thank you for joining us. Psalm 96 is set in a cluster of psalms that form a celebration of joyful praise to God. Announcing God's reign over His creation, Psalm 96 alerts us to God's justice and the mystery of His mercy, even in the face of our unfaithfulness. Nothing can stop the Lord from being Himself, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. At the Anglican Connection Conference last year, Dr. Jim Saladin, Senior Minister of Emmanuel Anglican Church, New York City, gave two Bible talks on Psalm 96, morning and afternoon. Here is his second reflection with the title, The Lord Reigns. We're grateful for his permission to use this in this week's Word on Wednesday. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Um, We are picking up where we left off this morning, uh, Psalm 96, and right now we're going to think about verses 7 through 13. Now, if you were with us this morning, um, we were looking at the first six verses of the psalm, and and we said basically this, worship animates evangelism. Uh, Worship motivates gospel ministry. And so in Psalm 96, you've got this psalmist, so to speak, who stands up, looks out at the world, interestingly, the Gentile world, and says, hey, whole world, listen up. I've got something to say. Join me, says the psalmist. Join me and get on board with declaring God's glory among all nations. Proclaim his glory. Evangelize and tell everyone about the Lord of Israel. And then, so to speak, the psalmist says, and do you want to know why you should do that? Because you should go out and proclaim the gospel because the Lord is so surpassingly worthy, glorious, and beautiful. And what we said is worship, that conviction about the glory of God, drives gospel ministry. Now, that was this morning. But there's a a bit of a nagging question. And the question is, what is it that produces that worship within my heart, within your heart? Can you see the question? Uh, If we will only really proclaim the gospel and evangelize rightly or well or be motivated when we worship the Lord, then it's pretty important to ask, what is it that will get us to a place of worshiping the Lord? Now, we hinted at the answer this morning, but Psalm 96 gives us some more detail. And here's what I want to show you. It's the gospel that imparts the heart of worship. Let me explain. Take a look at verse 10 of Psalm 96. Uh, Verse 10 is important because it gives us the gospel. What I mean by that is that verse 10 is the message that Psalm 96 wants us to go out and proclaim. And the gospel in Psalm 96 is, well, it was a little surprising to me. Take a look at it. Verse 10, it says this, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. So that's it. That's the gospel. Basically, the Lord reigns as king on the one hand. And secondly, the Lord is coming to judge the world. Now, I don't know. Is that the first thing you think of when you think of the word gospel? It kind of surprised me. Now, we'll come back to that in just a second. But first, I want you to see the joy that this gospel sparks and ignites within the world. Look at verse 11. 
Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. And then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. Now pause there. Do you catch that? The gospel is the Lord is king and he's coming to judge. The response is the crowd goes wild. I mean, the whole universe gets ex- just gets excited and it even explodes with a kind of cosmic joy. The gospel ignites the joy of worship. Now pause there because that is how God brings the human heart to a place of worship. Remember the question, how can I get my heart to worship? If worship is going to drive me in gospel proclamation, I want to know how to get my heart to worship. How do I do that? Well, the answer is the human heart is ignited in worship when we internalize the gospel. The gospel of the Lord's reign as king and his judgment ignites the cosmos to worship, but it also ignites the human heart. And that explains why it's so important that as gospel proclaimers, we apply the gospel to ourselves before we apply it to others. Okay, but go back to the reading. Because I want to know still, why is it that that God's reign and God's judgment produce joy? God's reign and God's judgment doesn't always, I don't always associate it with joy. Why does the gospel produce joy? Now, I think this might be a little bit easier for us to understand today than it was even just a few years ago. When I was younger, like when I was in college, it was kind of vogue to deny the existence of evil, which was it didn't last that long because then life happened. But, you know, I, I don't know anybody that denies the presence of evil anymore. They may not call it evil, but everybody agrees, it seems to me, or most do, that there's something really messed up about the world. Now, nobody agrees on what the source of the problem is, but everybody thinks that something's wrong. Um, and everybody wants somebody who can, who can show up and set the world right. Um, so the Democrats think the Republicans are the problem. The Republicans think the Democrats are the problem. But the one thing that they can agree on is that we need somebody, a good leader, who will set things in order. Now, of course, the Bible goes far deeper than that. And in the Bible, we find out that the problem isn't just the Republicans and the problem isn't just the Democrats and whatever else you want to put the problem. The problem underneath all of those problems is the problem of sin. All of us according to the Bible, have repudiated God's kingship. All of us have staged an insurrection against God, and we have enthroned ourselves in his place. But it ends up we're just horrible kings. In fact, we're so awful at running the world that we end up ruining not just our lives, but other people's lives, and not just other people's lives, but whole nations, and not just whole nations, but even the whole universe in a deep and profound way is ruined because of our insurrection, and we're left in this hopeless state of insurrection, and we really desperately need a good leader who can set things in order. And that's why when the universe in verse 11 hears the gospel, that the king is returning and that the Lord is going to return and judge, then even the trees get excited. But slow down because here's the problem. If the king is returning and if the king's going to judge, then where does that leave the insurrectionists? You see, this is why the gospel makes me nervous. Does the gospel make you nervous? It makes me nervous because I'm an insurrectionist. And if the Lord reigns, then that means that I don't. And if the Lord judges, then that means that I am condemned. 
Remember Amazing Grace? It was grace that taught my heart to fear. Sometimes the gospel needs to frighten us before it comforts us. And that's why verse 10 ultimately leads us to the cross. Because it ends up, happy news, a long time later, the Lord was indeed enthroned. But he was enthroned on a cross. And while Jesus the Lord was dying upon the cross, God the Father was judging my insurrection. Jesus was voluntarily taking my place and suffering suffering my penalty so that I could be declared not guilty. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he proved, first of all, that a sweet season of amnesty had begun. But he also proved, secondly, that that sweet season of amnesty would not last forever and that one day he will return to judge the living and the dead. Now, friends, what that means is that we need to look at Jesus because he fulfills verse 10. He is the Lord who reigns and he is the Lord who judges. And when you're an insurrectionist who has now received amnesty and mercy and pardon, you can't help but rejoice. I mean, in verse 11, the heavens and the earth and the sea, even the trees rejoice. But I tell you what, no one rejoices like a forgiven sinner because those who have been forgiven much also love much. And in a deep way, besides the Lord Jesus, only a forgiven sinner can appreciate the fullness of the glory of the gospel and even the glory of God. Because God's glory is displayed in part through his mercy to sinners like me. And that's why the gospel imparts the joy of worship. And then worship drives gospel proclamation. So how does all this apply? Well, it applies in all sorts of ways. But it at least gives us motivation and confidence and even something of a method. Uh, We already said this morning that it gives us motivation because we will be bold in our part proclamation when our hearts are warmed with the glory of God. But it also gives us confidence because if the Lord really is more glorious than any other competitor, then that can give us confidence that whoever we talk to in this world, we can know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is precisely what they need. And then finally, it gives us something of a method because Psalm 96 tells us to lift up the glory ultimately of Jesus Christ and show that he is better than every other competitor. And when the Holy Spirit makes Jesus's glory clear to human hearts, then people will drop their idols and turn to Christ. That's the method. We could apply it in many ways, but in another way, the best application is just verse seven. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord. Anglican Connection Conference. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering, which is your whole life, and come into his courts and into his presence. And there before him, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him because of his mercy and grace and glory and power and holiness. And then with your heart filled with worship, go out and declare his glory among the nations. Let me pray. Raise up your great power, Lord, and come amongst us to save us, so that although through our sins we are grievously hindered in running the race that is set before us, your plentiful grace and mercy may speedily help and deliver us through the sufficiency of your Son, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit 
be honour and glory, now and forever. Amen. People involved in today's podcast are John Mason, speaker and writer, and Dr. Jim Saladin, Senior Minister of Emmanuel Anglican Church, New York City. The opening and closing music is from St. Andrew's Cathedral, Sydney, and the ironic blessing is sung by the Chamber Choir of the Cathedral under the direction of Ross Cobb. Please let us know if you have a question or a comment about this podcast. We'd love to hear from you.